Will you turn now with me to Romans 7, please? Romans and chapter 7. I want to share with you some very precious thoughts around the 18th verse. I know that in me dwelleth no good thing. I just want to share this with you because in this study of the word, we need to get down to some brass tacks. The scripture says here, in the seventh chapter and the eighteenth verse of Romans, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. In other words, my body becomes a serious problem to me. It's a liability. My body will keep me from going to eternity with Christ. My body is that thing that Satan so manipulates as to cause the rest of my person, my soul and my spirit, to be subjugated and to obey the whim and fancy of my body. A classic and obvious vulgar explanation or illustration of this is simply where King David looked out of the window and into the bathroom window of a neighboring house and saw Bathsheba taking a bath and his body lusted for the woman and he took her and committed adultery and damaged his soul and damaged his spirit. He was out of fellowship with God. Now let's look at a couple of things for they're mighty important as we look through this little area of Scripture. Look at the I am's that confirm this fact. There are several I am's as we go through Scripture. Because, for instance, we find that Isaiah, when he saw and recognized the holiness of Jehovah and recognized the beauty of that holiness, he cried out. And in Isaiah 6 and verse 9, I think it is, or 10, he says, I am undone. He cries out when he sees the purity of Jehovah, the Yahweh, he says, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. Woe, woe is me. Listen to the man as he expresses his heart, as he expresses his soul. He recognizes that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. In Psalm 22, verse 6, the psalmist remembers, he remembers God's deliverances. And he cries out. And he says within his heart, I am a worm. The best illustration that I can bring of myself when I recognize the deliverances of God. There were four, three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were plunged into the depth of a fiery furnace and God delivered them. And, Mo, and the psalmist says when he remembers such a, a deliverance, he says, I am only a worm at the very best. Now for fear that any of you think I've lost the ability to have my chronology correct, I'm aware that the psalmist lived before the time of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. I was using the illustration, so you can use another if you must. Use the illustration of Joseph. What a beautiful illustration it is. Here is a man sold as a slave. 
Here is a man sent as a slave into a foreign country. Here is a man abandoned by his own family. And we discover that God made him the ruler of that part of the earth next to Pharaoh. He was the strongest man. What deliverance God can give. What mighty deliverance can God deliver. And when the psalmist recognizes what it is that God does, he turns and he says, I am so small. I am so tiny. By comparison, I am like a worm. We discover that, the, that, the, that the, in Song of Solomon, the bride looks out and she sees her beloved. And she sees her beloved in Song of Solomon 1.5 records it for us. And when she sees him, she looks at her own beauty and she recognizes herself as very dark. She says, I am black compared with him. We discover also that there is a manifestation of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ that urged Peter to confess one supreme and absolute thing. Luke 5, 8 records it for us. He says, I am a sinful man. We discover as we go through in the contemplation of the father's home prompted the prodigal son to say simply, I am no more worthy. We discover in Romans 7 and verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual. I am carnal. Listen to the proclamation of the Apostle Paul. Maybe one man that lived closer to God than most. And this man cries out, My carnality is in my flesh. I am carnal. So listen to these deliberations. Listen to these great postulations. And listen to the men of God of the past. For instance, Job, when he sees the unveiling of the glory of God, it leads Job, and he writes the record in Job 40 and verse 4, he says, I am vile. We discover in the Word of God the consciousness of the Lord's remembrance made the psalmist to say, I am poor and I am needy. And he records it in Psalm 40, 17. The sense of Jehovah's presence caused Jacob to acknowledge, I am not worth the least of all thy mercies. That's recorded for you in Genesis 32.10. The knowledge of Christ makes everyone who sees himself in the light of his presence to exclaim, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul was talking to young Timothy and 1 Timothy 1.15 records it. 
He says, young Timothy, let me tell you, when I have seen all the glory that Christ is, when I have understood all the glory that God is, when I recognize that He is from everlasting and to everlasting, when I recognize that He is the author and He is the finisher, when I recognize He is the Alpha and the Omega, you must understand, young Timothy, I have to say, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am a chief of sinners. I'm saved. Now, if you're, a, you're tied up in some psychological thing here, you will say that I'm bringing great pressure upon the congregation. And I say to you with all the love in the world, my dear friend, that is not so. What I am doing here, I am revealing the very essence, the very nature of man. And the very nature of man is this, that he was born in sin and he inherited it from Adam and Eve. I care not whether you have the creationist point of view. I care not whether you have the Genesis point of view. I care not whether you have the evolutionist point of view. At this point, I'm not at all interested in that. The fact is, when we were born, we inherited the sinful nature of our parents, and God has dealt with that sinful nature. And that's the point. Ladies and gentlemen, you can argue and will argue for hours on end on end, but I just accept that what the Bible says is absolutely accurate. And because of that, I can say, look at the I am's of the men of old and understand that those men have made the proclamation, the I am is I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. Woe is me. I am likened to a worm. I am a sinful man. And if we can start to understand that, we can start to comprehend something, says the Bible, of what is the height and what is the depth and what is the length and what is the breadth of the great love wherewith He hath loved us. When I can understand that sin is abhorrent to God, when I can comprehend that it is a stench in His nostrils, when I can understand that sin is contrary to the will of God, contrary to the way of God, contrary to the life of God, contrary to the liberty of God, when I can understand that my sinful practice is contrary to God, then I can come and I can say, Oh God, be merciful, I am a sinner. Sure, it's heavy stuff. But you see, we have to understand about sin. Those of you that have gone hunting have got some wonderful hunting stories, how you lifted the gun and bang, and you just broke the antler of the beast, but it ran away and you didn't get it. Well, we'll believe you. Those of you who are fishermen, you tell us how you cast your line and you fish so beautifully and you reel the beast in. Why, it was an enormous, just an enormous minnow that you had there. And you were reeling him in and you were hauling and reeling and he was running and you were hauling and reeling. But the, the line broke and he got away. We, 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 we'll believe you. We'll believe you. I've got a story that it would take too long to tell the first duck I ever shot. Let it suffice to say it was still in the pond. And when I emptied the whole magazine at the poor thing, it was still in the pond. And then it looked at me and went quack and flew away. 
That's the truth, but you want to hear me tell that story? Now, to say I am a sinner means quite literally that I am a hunter. And I am a hunter who brought his gun up and bang and missed. I am a hunter who took his arrow and placed it in the bow and drew back and missed. I am a hunter who threw his line in and caught but missed. I am someone who just missed the mark. I'm a marksman with my gun, and I stand and fire. And as I stand and fire, I just miss the center. I'm not quite on the bullseye. No matter how I work at all the mechanism of my weapon, no matter how I work at all the sights and the lining up of the weapon, I still miss the mark. And a sinner is someone missing the mark. God's mark, the mark of the high calling that is in Christ Jesus, the prize that is in Jesus Christ, is to live a life of holiness, not a life of goodness. It is to live a life of purity, not a life of niceness. It is to live a life that glorifies God, not a life of benevolence. God has called us into a new life, a life that is so massive and involved, a life that is so engulfing that we will miss the mark unless we come to that life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now let me share with you, come, let's reason together, open the Scriptures together, let's understand the Scriptures together. I want to share with you that Judas missed the mark. Judas missed it, and he missed the mark of the love of Christ by betraying him. Why, the Scripture says in Matthew's Gospel 27 and verse 14, that Judas cries out, and he says, I have betrayed in that, or rather, I have sinned in that I have betrayed innocent blood. Oh, listen to Judas as he cries out, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent. Notice something else. The prodigal son missed the mark. He missed the mark of contentment in his father's house. And he was so discontent. He missed the mark of contentment, of being content with his father's will by by superimposing his own will. Listen to the prodigal son. Turn to Luke 15 and verses 18 through 21. After that he has been sitting around the slop and the swill for the pigs, after that he has filled his belly with the husks that were normally for the pigs, he says, I will arise and go to my father. I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, then am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose, and he came to his father. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. I've missed the mark. Ladies and gentlemen, we must understand the Scripture tells us in a most wondrous way that missing the mark 
is to be a person that has no righteousness, no goodness within him. Look also at the Scripture in John 5, 14, and you'll discover a man that was a cripple missed the mark. He missed the mark of God's law in sinning against himself. Jesus says to the man that is crippled because of sin, he says in John 5, 14, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto thee. Jesus recognized that missing the mark could cause a person's body to be sick. He understands that a body can be very sick because of sin. Now you may argue what you like, but there are illnesses and there are sicknesses that come upon us because we have sinned. And let's be honest and open about them. Let's be absolutely factual that the majority of depression, the majority of arthritis, the majority of things that are happening to people comes from sin. The majority of psychosomatic illnesses, the majority of ulcers we used to be told at least in our, in our tummies, why these were created because of sin. Worry is sin to the Christian. For the Bible says, and you can read it for yourself in the second epistle of Peter and in the third chapter in verses 15, 16, 17 and 18, where the Lord through Peter tells us this, that we are to learn to cast all our care upon him, for he careth for us. That is like a fisherman casts, casts his line. We're to cast the hook out. We're to cast it away from ourselves. We're to learn to cast it. Or if you're a net fisherman, you're to take hold of the net and you're to cast it out from the hind part of the boat. And as you cast the net, so you're to cast away from yourself all your cares. What are they? Well, the Amplified Version says the word care could be translated this way, anxiety, concern, and worry. You're carrying any anxiety, worry, and concern? You're sinning. Oh, you say, wait a minute. Oh, yes. You may be a Christian, but you're actually stubbornly enjoying your little piece of sin. It's rather nice to be concerned. It's rather nice to be anxious. It's rather nice to be worried. You've got something to ask people to pray about. I long for the day when everybody will meet for prayer and they'll be so full of praise we won't have time for prayer. You ever thought of that? We come together and we say, now, has anybody got anything to pray about? My ache, my arm, my this, my that. Now, I'm not being unkind to you. We should pray about these things. But it may sound unkind. So I apologize now and you won't have to get me later. But truthfully, wouldn't it be wonderful if people came into the prayer meeting and said, hey, you know what? I'm just praising God. My cares are looked after. All my worries are taken care of. All my concerns are on the shoulders of Jesus. All those things that have been anxiously nibbling at me and agitating inside me, they're gone. I'm praising God. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Then you get some stomping on the ground and some songs singing and some people coming. Ah, my dear friends, the Bible teaches us we Christians miss the mark 
We take the arrow, we place it in the bow, we draw back, and we're just off the mark when we let loose and we miss. If you're just a fraction of an inch off the mark, you may as well be a mile. You've missed, period. God would have us to live a holy, a gracious, a filled, a righteous. He would have us live a pure life, a life that shall exalt Christ, a life that shall bring honor and glory to His name. He would have us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of God. He would have us to be men and women who when all is said and done, we stand. But so many of us are used to using the church as a band-aid society instead of a direction post for the battle. Oh, come. Come look at the Scriptures with me. Enjoy John 8, 11. You discover the adulterous woman missed the mark by having a, a, a lack of purity in her life. And this poor lady with her sinful impurity she has to come to Jesus. She is exposed in front of people. And she's, Jesus says to her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. I've wiped the slate clean, lady. Now I don't miss the mark again. Ooh, that must have been music. <laughs> that must have been so exciting to that lady. All the old gray beards and bald heads were nodding and saying what a wicked lady she was. And here's Jesus, and he says, I'm not condemning you. You go and don't do it again. Change. Let the Holy Spirit come upon you and change. Angels miss the mark. They miss the mark of God's glory by their pride. 2 Peter 2 tells us about this, verse 4, If God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. God did that. Every angel that prided himself and reckoned himself to be something against God, something more than God, something different to God, God reserved him in darkness in chains. God reserved him, cast him out, waiting for a judgment that is yet to come. We must understand something else. Israel missed the mark of God's rest by their terrifying unbelief in God. It is so easy not to believe that God is concerned with everything I do, every person I meet, every involvement I get involved in, every, every, piece, of, every piece of business I get in, in, into. Why, God is concerned with it. He is concerned with all I do. And Hebrews 3 and verse 17 tells us this. He talks about the Israelites, how they missed their restfulness. They were not resting in God. They were not resting in the peace of God. They were agitated. They were fed up. They wanted the garlic and they wanted the onions of Egypt. They were fed up because they were eating manna and they'd eaten the same menu for 40 years. They wanted some of the modern shoes, some high heels, some good wedges. They wanted some waffle soles or whatever it is. They wanted new clothes. They wanted to get updated. And God didn't want them updated, but they were terribly grieved, and so they grieved God. Look at this, the 17th verse of Hebrews 3. Where quietly with whom? Speaking of Israel, with whom? He grieved 40 years 
who is not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness. Well, they died in the wilderness, and they saw no glory. They saw and understood nothing of the land flowing with milk and honey because of their sin. They missed the mark, and the sinner misses the mark of God's salvation by refusing Christ's wonderful atonement. Look at Hebrews 10 and verse 26. If we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice. I have to tell you this, that this country must be understanding that there is no more sacrifice. Calvary covers it all, or Calvary covers nothing. It happened once, says, says Hebrews, once and for all. He died for all sin. It's a great manifesto. God wrote a new covenant with the people of earth. God wrote a new testament in His blood. And that new testament in His blood is written upon the fleshy tablets of the hearts of men and women. And ladies and gentlemen, if we think we can come to God in some other manner, we fool ourselves. Look at the Scripture. Don't argue with me. Argue with the Word of God. Don't argue with just the Word of God. Argue with the Holy Spirit of God. And when you've done arguing with the Holy Spirit of God and you're in full rebellion, argue with the Son of God for He died for your sins and see the passion of His death and see the result of His death. And if you still have got an argument, then argue with God either on earth or when you're in eternity because one time or another you will. Hebrews 10.26 tells us that if we've received the knowledge, if we have received the report that Jesus died, that Jesus rose, that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father in glory, if we have received the knowledge, if we have received the reports of the Word of God, that it is God's Word and we reject it, understand there is no other method to come to God. So you want to shape up? We all use the expression once in a while, shape up or ship out. So people in churches, they put their Sunday best on and they try not to swear too much and they try not to smoke too much on Sunday, try not to watch too much TV on Sunday, they don't eat too much on Sunday. Somehow we've got rid of the sins of gluttony on Sunday, we've got rid of the sins of all these other funny things and somehow on Sunday we're sort of Christian. Hey, I've got news for you. If you're not the same on Monday as you are on Sunday, look at your life. Have a good look. Put it under a little microscope and have a peek. And see the creepy crawlies that are going on inside your little soul. You think you're pretty out here? You're ugly. God sees you as if you've got no clothes on. God sees you as if you're absolutely stripped of everything that you would cover yourself with. In fact, He is so meticulous in this, He has stripped away every vestige that is about the inner person of your soul, and He looks right in, and He says, I sent my Son to die for you. And you respond to that. Don't miss the mark. The heretic misses the mark. He's a fool. He misses the mark of God's truth because of his error. Look with me at Titus 3, 11. Knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. The person that is in error 
convinces himself that his error is correct. And as he convinces himself that his error is correct, he just keeps on and on persuading himself. Who is he pleasing? Not God. Yet without a man, without faith in Christ, without faith, a man cannot please God. Yet he says, I'm Christian. Yet he says, I'm alive. Yet he says, I go to church. Yet he says, all these wonderful things. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get to the Scripture and understand that the Bible tells us we've got to get right with God. Let's understand that he strips away the facade. He doesn't allow us to be masked. He doesn't allow us the privilege of hypocrisy. He says, we are people for whom Christ died and we are sinners missing the mark. Now then, it is sin to miss one's own aim. The left-handed Benjamites did not miss slinging their stones because they worked at it. We can read it for yourself in Judges 20. The judgment of God was on Ahab because Ahab made Israel sin. One man makes Israel sin. One man's sin brought the disgust and displeasure of God. Secondly, it is sin to miss one step and to trip and to fall. He that hasteth with his feet sinneth, says the Scripture. Proverbs 19.2 will tell you. He has not considered where he's going, and therefore he comes to grief. Look what Psalm 119.11 says. They would, thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against thee. The only medication, the only medication that is going to come into my being and cause me not to be into the malady and the sickness of sin is the Word of God. And as the Word of God fills my heart and fills my life, ladies and gentlemen, I will not sin. The glory of this is that God has made it easy. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh, and the Word dwelt among us. And that Word is none other and none less than the Lord Jesus Christ. His own received Him not, but to as many as received Him, to them gave He the power or the legal right to call themselves children of God, even to them that believe on His name. Isn't that exciting? That means me. Man, you can come into that great 14th verse of the first chapter of John's Gospel, where the writer, Dr. Luke, says something he can hardly put words to. And he, he just says this, And we beheld His glory, full of truth and grace. The man that is trusting Jesus Christ, who has received Him into his life, the man that has taken hold of Christ Jesus as his Savior, why that man, that woman, that boy, that girl, beholds the glory of God, full of grace, full of truth. Ooh, isn't that lovely? <laughs> There's a lot of people not 
seeing it, not understanding it. It's sin to miss oneself. The sinner misses the mark of God. God's sane command by his own insane attitude, I guess. It's great shame. Exodus 9.34 tells us Pharaoh sinned yet more and more. What did he do? Well, old Pharaoh, he was told by Moses, let my people, God says, let my people go. Moses brings in all kinds of terrifying things. Why, they worship frogs, and so he gave them millions of frogs to worship. They worship flies, so they're infested with flies. They worship the river, so he turned it into blood, and so on and on. Terrifying things. And Pharaoh yet sinned against God. He set his jaw, stiffened his neck, shot out his lip, pouted against God. And in his arrogance, his own children died because the firstborn through all the land, whether they were male or female, whether they were human or animal, died. Now, the man that misses the mark sins against himself. And I have to ask you, as I conclude, I have to ask you this very simple question. My dear friend, are you missing the mark? Oh, now face it. Don't start hedging around. Don't pretend. You've had enough pretense in your life, surely. Your teenagers come home and they, they tell you something and it's untrue and you know it's untrue, but you can't lay your finger on it. And so you start badgering the teenager. The teenager badgers you back and you have arguments between yourselves. Isn't that correct? My dear friends, some of you are doing that with God. What's happening in your home is an illustration of your attitude with God. You're pretending. It's time. Stop all this pretense. Get right with God. The sinner sins against God and himself. He misses the mark and his sin comes back upon himself. Hey, you take your arrow and you lay it in the bow and you pull back and you pull it the full width and you're ready to fire. Check. Is the arrow straight? Is the bow taut? Is it on target? Now look. If you're trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, you're right on target. As you let go, the arrow is firm and true. Jonathan's arrow sped its way to signal to David, all is well. And the arrow of God is simply this. The great spike on the end of the the arrow today is the gospel that claims your life. And if you respond to that gospel, you'll be a changed person. You'll become new. And you too will understand the glory full of grace and full of truth. Will you come to this Jesus Christ? Will you trust this Jesus Christ? Will you leave off being a sinner? Will you come away from missing the mark? Will you get right on target? Will you be able to make it? little humor, but it's scriptural. Bible says this. Our feet are shod in the preparation of the gospel. Our loins are girded about with truth. We're wearing the breastplate of righteousness. And on our heads we have the helmet of salvation. And I imagine that to be bullet-shaped. 
That's so that when the Lord Jesus comes, I'm right on target. Straight up. And I won't burn up as I go up. The labels will, but not, not me. Isn't that a pretty picture? <laughs> the helmet of salvation. Here I come, Lord, look out. Doesn't matter how many clouds are there, I've gone through them. Look down and see them. I shall see only the Son of Righteousness. I'm on target. Where are you? You on target? Are you like some of those missiles? Or however you happen to pronounce that silly word. Those funny little missiles, and when they push the buttons, they squirt and bang and clatter and crank, and they don't get out of the silo. And a lot of people are going to be like that. But are you like the recharged one? Boom, you're off to glory. The button's pushed. Hey, your button been pushed today? Well, come on then. Don't go like a damp squid, pop, pop, pop all around the room. Straight to glory. Just admit one fact, that in me, that is in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. Nothing in my hand then I bring, simply to thy cross, Lord, I cling. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the preciousness of the word. We recognize that the things that we do, we shouldn't be. The things that we shouldn't be doing, we often get involved in. Oh, what complex little people we are. We simply ask of thee that thou would wash us, now white like snow, and create within us a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within our souls, that we may confidently say, In me dwelleth no good thing. Yet as I dwell in Christ, I am alive unto God. Allow this to be the experience of this congregation, we beseech thee. For Jesus' sake, amen.